and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. Who's ready for the Word? Can you open up your Bibles with me, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The last two weeks, we've been preaching on Elijah and the widow at Zarephath. Today, we go to Paul's teaching on generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. I made the mistake when I was 14. I was a brand new Christian and the pastor asked, who'd like to reap sparingly? And 14-year-old Bradley put up his hand. <laughs> and whoever sows generously, amen, will also, because it was just such a wonderful word, it just sounded good to me. Whoever sows generously, come on, will also reap generously. Verse seven says, so let each one give as that person purposes in their heart, not grudgingly, that is mad, or of necessity, that is sad, for God loves a, come on, cheerful giver, that is the glad giver. So right there in that one verse, you got the mad, the sad, and the? Good job. And God, verse eight, is able to bless you abundantly. What a great statement so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he, this is a good verse. We can preach on this one day, but not today. He who supplies seed to the sower. Look who's getting seed, it's the sower. Seed comes to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. Who loves the word multiplication? The sums of the devil are subtraction and division. The sums of God are addition and multiplication. Supply and multiply your seed for your sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. I'm going to read a verse to you. Matthew chapter 19, verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The context of 2 Corinthians is simply this. A famine had spread throughout Judea. Paul writes a letter to the Corinthian church asking them to support those that were in need in Jerusalem. The church at Antioch had already been generous to support the needs of the believers. In chapter eight of 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks about another church that had already given, and that was the Macedonian church. 
Now he writes to the church at Corinth and he says to the church at Corinth, just like the other two locations and two churches have given, I'm asking you, can you also, like the other two, rise up in generosity? In this passage, Paul deals with a number of things. He uses the word seed to describe, come on now, generosity. And there's a whole host of principles, thoughts, ideas that we can take out of this passage. But there's a particular verse that popped to me that we are gonna lean in today. Now, Paul realises that if you were to take a farmer and a farmer was to sow seed, he can have a bad attitude, yet the seed will still produce a harvest. That farmer could have been mad at his dog that morning. Sow his seed, yet his attitude has no impact, come on now, on the harvest. However, he says that when it comes to a believer's generosity, your attitude, in fact, matters. Attitude matters in generosity. In fact, it matters a lot. The definition of attitude, we could say, is a a settled feeling. It's a way of thinking. You have an attitude to a lovely person that you (laughs) semi-like. It's a settled feeling that you may have. Some people, you remember when you were a teenager, I'm not too sure if they even write these things these days, but on your school report, you got lots of potential, but your attitude needs to improve. Who remembers those days? (laughs) Couple of honest people in the house this morning. Attitude determines whether the glass is half empty or, come on, half full. In fact, the Bible encourages us to have the right attitude. It says a relaxed attitude will lengthen a person's life. In Philippians, Paul says that we are to have the same attitude that was actually in Christ. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the conversation. Jesus asks him, well, what commandments? What have you kept? And so he starts to state a whole bunch of rules, a whole bunch of commandments that he had kept. In fact, six of them. And he said, all of these commandments I have kept since my youth. Jesus honours him and thanks him for being so wonderful. He says, there's one thing that you lack, however, Everything that you have, go and give to the poor. He struggled with that. And we read in Matthew chapter 19, verse 22, that the Bible says that he went away sorrowful. To be sorrowful means then that he interpreted his giving away as a loss because loss and sorrow go 
hand in hand. His attitude was this. If I was to give, I will be in deficit. And he had a wrong understanding of generosity. He had a settled feeling, his attitude, that when I give, I'm going backwards. And the problem with the rich young ruler is he did not understand that the seed that we sow does not lead to decay or deterioration, that's the word. (laughs) But there is a process in the purposes of God. See, you can sow and be sorrowful. You can withhold and bury the seed, realising that what I sow is leading to a loss. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth and uses the word seed. And he says, understand something, that God's not only looking at the gift, but he's also exploring the heart of the giver. For God loves a cheerful giver. You see, people who are sowers understand something. They understand that in giving away, it's not actually lost. Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Because if I bury the seed, if I release the seed in a way with an attitude that is a feeling of loss, I've actually missed out on a great kingdom principle of multiplication. Planters understand that there is a letting go and there is a sowing. But in actual fact, what I am doing is investing into something that the Bible says will produce addition and multiplication in my life. Planters understand that that seed, although it's no longer in my hands, goes through a process of metamorphosis. When I bury the seed, when I hold on to the seed, this has the destiny. This does not. This, if we hold on to it, we are taking authority over our own personal finances and our own world. And we are saying, Lord, I am in charge. But when I sow, planters understand that this is destiny concealed, waiting to be revealed. And in fact, planters understand that it will actually come back good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Why? because I've put it in God's hands. Planters understand something. They understand potential. They understand what's probable. They understand what's possible. Planters understand that if I withhold the seed, I in fact 
deny the supernatural. And so today, I want to give you the three mindsets, the paradigm of a planter. Are you ready? Number one, planters understand the wisdom of seed time and harvest. Can you say amen? Amen. Seed time and harvest. Wheat is one of the major exports of Australia. And the sowing season in Australia uh, starts in autumn and the reaping season is over spring and over summer. Planters understand those who are farmers of wheat realise that there is a particular window, there is a particular time where you must sow. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22 says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. We need to understand that there is a wisdom in our giving because we are sowing something that at some point, the Word of God says, will produce, come on church, a harvest. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. This act of giving that we are about to engage in as a church and have done so for many, many years is a season of sowing. But as we sow, we are going to believe God for a supernatural return. Your giving... Your generosity is seed faith. And seed faith moves from the physical into the invisible. And the seed may look dormant, but it is not dead. Because if you judge a seed by its activity, you'll be disappointed. Because although God is silent, He's not actually still, He's moving. There's movement and it's all happening underneath the ground. And I prophesy over your seed as we cooperate with God's timing. As we cooperate with God's timing, I prophesy over your seed that your seed would open and the seed coat would rupture and there would be a germination process. There would be a birthing of something new and something powerful because inside of every seed is the fierce force of life waiting to be unleashed for a mighty miracle. A little boy had five loaves, two fish. A multitude needed to be fed. Jesus Bible says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 19 says, he took the five loaves. When we sow, we ain't giving into an offering bucket. It's not just an online transaction. It's not just a have a go, be involved. This is supernatural. This is seed that's been put into the hands of Jesus. The Bible says he took the seed, watch this, looking up to heaven. 
This is supernatural. This is not ordinary. This is not just paying for a coffee and getting some kind of exchange. This is supernatural seed that goes beyond and supersedes natural thinking, natural seasons, economic circumstances, because He took the seed, He broke it, He blessed it, and there was a multiplication. Can we, in this offering, give God something so that something supernatural can be set in motion? We talk about Jesus as the Lord of our harvest. But today at Horizon Church, we recognise Jesus as the Lord of our seed. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? People who can release, trust God with a supernatural outcome. Number two, Planters understand the power of the seed. How many of you know seed is the beginning? Planters understand that there is a sketch right now in somebody's lounge room that will one day be a masterpiece. Planters understand that that work in that garage will one day be a factory. Planters understand that there is a plan on somebody's desk which will one day be a huge city building. Planters understand that that junior one day will be the CEO of the company. Planters understand that there is a church that right now today, this morning, is meeting in a classroom, but one day it'll be one of Australia's great churches. Planters understand that there is a scientist right now who's going through a series of experiments and one day that experiment will change people's lives. Planters understand there's power in the seed. The devil wants you to hold on to the seed because he knows that it's in the seed that nations and generations are shaped and changed. The devil knows that the cost, watch this, of planting the seed is virtually incomparable to the harvest. We miss out and forfeit the blessing of God when we withhold the seed. Don't bury something where God has commanded it to live. This offering that we are moving into, the phenomena, I should say, that's a better word, (laughs) of this offering is about a faithful stewardship of debt reduction that we have been on as a church, led by the Spirit of God to position our church to be in a place where one day we can be here together in this facility and other facilities 
And the offering is all about the healing of the community. The offering is all about souls. The offering is all about marriages that are doing it tough in the community. But there's a whole bunch of people at Horizon Church who care. And the devil wants us to withhold the seed because he knows that in the seed is a fierce force of life waiting to be unleashed on a community that needs Jesus. The little boy puts the five loaves, the two fish into the hands of Jesus. Jesus blessed it, he broke it, he multiplied it, and Jesus himself did not give the bread and the fish out himself. He gave it to 12 disciples who fed a hungry and a broken generation. That's our destiny. That's our future. As we put it into the hands of Jesus, there's power in the seed. Can you say amen? Planters, number three. You doing okay? Planters understand seeds are so powerful, they can influence generations. Come on, how many of you know that to be true? Seeds are so powerful, they can influence generations. God Himself spoke that over Eve. He said, I'll put enmity between your seed and Satan's seed. It influences generations. The devil wants us to withhold because he has a plan, he has an agenda for the next generation. But at Horizon Church, when people ask me, describe Horizon Church, generally I say two things. I say we are spirit and excellence. The second thing I say is this. If you come to Horizon Church, our calling, our mandate is He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. We believe in all generations being blessed. You go to our kids' ministry, it's going to be awesome. Go to our youth ministry, it's going to be awesome. Go to young adults, it's going to be awesome. Get involved in young families, it's going to be awesome. Get involved in young professionals, it's going to be awesome. Right throughout the dynamics of the church, all the way through to Encore, He's the God of Abraham, He's the God of Isaac, and He's the God of Jacob. We believe in our generosity that God moves in ways that transcends generations. Psalm 145 verse four says, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Many years ago, a man in Durban, South Africa, felt a call to go around knocking on the doors of people's homes, asking them if there's anyone in their house that needed healing. He was walking through a suburb, a coloured community back then because of racial segregation called Wentworth. My grandfather answers the door. This man of God 
says, hey, I'm, I'm a believer, I follow Jesus. Is there anybody in your family that needs healing? I believe that the God that I serve is able to heal people. His name is Jesus. My grandfather, well, let's just say he was very committed to a traditional form of religion and he was staunch. My dad had a little sister. Her name was Bernadette. We grew up calling her Auntie Bernie. My dad's little sister suffered with severe asthma and would regularly be rushed to hospital. My grandfather stood there, listened to this man, and he said, in fact, I do. My daughter needs healing from asthma. The unknown man of God comes in, lays hands on my dad's little sister. And from that time, she was supernaturally healed and never, ever again had an asthma attack. My grandfather was so touched by the miracle. He had a kind of large property there in Durban. And he said, we need to build a church on our property. My dad has 12 siblings and they all had to learn how to play guitar, <laughs> sing. And that man of God that came, they started a church. Seed was planted by a man who put a seed of faith into my grandfather's heart, transcending generations. Well, we moved to Australia. I was eight years of age when my family moved to Australia. And it was an interesting experience because I was used to being with coloured people all the time. And I was like, look who I'm sitting next to in my class in year four. This is different. We had gone to church most Sundays in South Africa. You go to South Africa, it's just tradition to go to church. But in my own heart, never really knew Jesus. My Sunday school teacher, her name was Michelle. I still remember her. I remember learning a bit about Noah, some of the great stories of, of the Bible. But when we came to Australia, for some reason, faith was this way and my family went that way. We stopped going to church, etc., etc. But in my heart, there was a seed of faith. And I knew, although I didn't know Jesus, that God was real. The age of 14, I'm in Perth and I'm walking to school one morning, blow dried my hair, looking good. It matters when you're 14, man. And as I'm walking to school, I hear this voice in my heart. And this voice says, Jesus Christ is coming soon. I'm like, all right, let's keep going. The next day, voice in my heart, Jesus Christ is coming soon. Third day, this happened 
every single day for about a month. The soil of my heart was being tilled. There was a seed of faith that was planted there by a man who went around knocking on people's doors, asking them, does anybody need healing? Well, I thought, this is what I'm gonna do for you, God. I actually did, I made a bargain with God. If Jesus is gonna come soon, I knew enough that I wasn't saved. So that means I'm gonna end up with furnace face. So I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll think about you, God, every day, and then God will be happy. And every day when I'd walk to school in Leeming, Perth, Western Australia, I'd think about God. And then one Saturday morning, this brother rocks up to my house. He was about four or five years older than me. You've heard me tell a little bit of the story. I remember him from family functions having big dreadlocks. And let's just say his eyes were very, very red. And he was a reggae DJ in Perth. No one invited him. Knocks on the door of my house. I open up the door. I'm like, what am you here? Your eyes are white. <laughs> and he says, Brad, God put you on my heart. I mean, I'm like 14. And he says, I got saved. I now go to a youth group. And I was wondering tonight, can you come to the youth group with me? It was my mum's birthday, 25th of June, 1988. By then, brother Brad had started to stray a little bit. I asked my mum, she says, yes, go to youth group. <laughs> he didn't know that in my heart, there was a voice, Jesus Christ is coming soon. I go to the youth group. Steve Fogarty was preaching on that night. I don't remember anything he said, except when the salvation call came, no one got saved. And then he pulled out the classic 1980s Pentecostal line, if you were to go out of this church building and a drunk driver came down, come on, you pennies, you know what I'm, and you were to get run over, where would you go? And I sat there as a 14 year old and I thought, I ain't going to heaven. Hand up. I gave my heart to Jesus. They took us to the side room. Come on, you guys remember those days when people get saved? Go to the side room. Rondai, Shondai, boom, prayed for me. Thought I bought a Honda, but I bought a Mitsubishi. It was, it was on. I was like, that's new languages. <laughs> and that night, I had a supernatural encounter with God at a youth group. Fast forward, the age of 19. I mean, you know, I had my ups and downs, to be honest. Uh, I was the first person in my family to give my heart to God. I had an older brother and sister, so they were parting like it was 1999. So that was kind of, you know, follow their path, but God got me. The age of 19, I, um, I feel a call to ministry. I go to youth camp, encounter with God. I see pictures of myself preaching at youth camps. I'd lie in bed at night, when everyone's going crazy and, and tears would run down my cheeks because 
God would give me pictures. You're going to preach at youth camps. You're going to preach at youth camps. You're going to preach at youth camps. And at the age of 19, I was asked to go full-time in the ministry. At 20, just after my birthday, February 26, <laughs> I went full-time in the ministry. I sit down with my dad one day and he tells me the story. You know the story of your grandfather and how the man came, prayed, etc. I said, yeah, yeah, I, I remember that story. He said, there's another part to it. My dad had a younger brother by the name of Errol. Errol's very South African, which is my middle name, E-R-R-O-L. Now I know you wanna laugh, but it's okay. <laughs> I think it's cool. <laughs> Bradley Errol. <laughs> when my grandfather built that church, Errol, who was my dad's younger brother, felt a call to ministry. At 20, guess what? He went full time. One day, he was doing a visitation. On his motorbike, brakes failed, crashed into a wall at the age of 20, instantly killed. And my dad said to me, I just find it so interesting. Your middle name is Errol. And my younger brother, his name is Errol. You went full-time in the ministry when you were 20. He went full-time in the ministry when he was 20. I'm not trying to, you know, be mystical today. <laughs> That's not my heart. But what I am saying is the seeds that we sow transcends generations. Let's not think of the here and now. Let's not think about just today and tomorrow. There is a generation coming after us who will one day, by the grace of God, tell a story of a generation before them who sowed, who sacrificed, who gave their best. And we have what we have today because of a seed of faith. This offering to the glory of God is not about us. It's about a well, Jacob's well, that was dug hundreds of years and a weary traveller when it sat by the well, his name was Jesus. That well served hundreds, thousands of people. It's our turn to sow a seed of faith so that well can serve the generation long after you and I have gone with Him forever. If you see this as a contribution, you've missed it. It's a seed that moves, influences and impacts generations to come. Our Father in heaven, we thank You so much. 
we thank You for this opportunity to prepare our hearts, to give and Lord, to show our gratitude to You, to sow seed that changes people's lives. We're humble today. We're humble before You. And we thank You with a grateful heart. Can you say Amen? Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.